Well, good morning to you, church. Isn't it good to be together with God's people? Amen? Amen. It is. It is indeed. I want to invite you today to join me in Acts chapter number 10 for this Sunday. Acts 10, if you would please turn there. You're going to want to turn there and follow along. We've got a lot of scripture that we're going to read through in this chapter, as you see on the screen, verses 1 through 43. That is for real, okay? There's a lot. Okay, as for how we're going to handle this in today's passage, we're going to work through this very long narrative, okay? And then after we've gone through all that, now I'm going to stop along the way offer some explanation and so forth. But after we've gone through all of that, then we're going to circle back and find our points of application for this morning. All right. And so you hang with me. And, and if it's been about 10 minutes and you're like, did I miss the first point? I didn't, I, I, you know, I didn't catch that. No, you didn't. It's going to be longer than that before we get to the first point. Okay. So you just hold tight, follow along with me. Acts chapter number 10. We're going to begin in verse number one where it says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, that's 3 p.m. by the way, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, bring one Simon who's called Peter. We've heard of him before. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called Cornelius, called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so in this first section, what we notice is that Cornelius is introduced to us and he's a major player in chapter number 10. He's this Roman centurion, which means not only is he a battle-hardened Roman soldier, but he's responsible, a leader of at least a hundred men, soldiers who serve under him. Now, actually in the Roman army, there were various ranks of centurions. And so we're not sure just where he fell. He could have been even higher up in the system. And a guy like that, you might expect that he would be kind of a rough character, you know, someone who uh, certainly was a powerful guy, perhaps even corrupt. But what Scripture instead tells us is that although he was a Gentile, here was a guy who worshiped, believed in, and worshiped the God of the Jews. In fact, Cornelius had a pretty stellar resume if you, if you read through that. It says he was devout, he feared God, led his family in faith, he gave alms, that is, he blessed others generously, he prayed without ceasing. I mean, there are some things in that list that I'm still aspiring to, you know? I mean, Cornelius is not all that bad. He was not your average Roman centurion. He was respected and appreciated by the Jews. Well, he hears from an angel who told him, you need to send some guys up to or over to Joppa and retrieve Peter and bring him back here to Caesarea. And so he gathers some guys together. He sends them off to Joppa as instructed. Verse number nine, we pick up. It says the next day as they, those three that he sent off, as they were on their journey and approaching the city of Joppa, Peter he went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. The sixth hour, by the way, is noon. Okay, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. 
And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Now, it's getting a little strange here. In that sheet, in it, were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him that said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, oh, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, you do not call common. This happened three times, that same exchange, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Okay, so backing up to, to there at about verse number nine, Cornelius sent his guys to, uh, to Joppa to retrieve Peter, and it's about a day and a half journey for them. It's 31 miles between those two cities, and that would take about a day and a half because most folks in biblical times, on average, they could travel 20 miles a day. Now, they're traveling on foot, and I'm going to tell you, they must be walking faster than I do, all right, because I'm not sure I'd make 20 miles in a day, but, um, but that was just normal and average for them. Well, um, it says about the time that they're arriving at, at Joppa, Peter goes up on the housetop. That sounds like a Christmas song, doesn't it? Up on the housetop. Seems like I've heard that. Uh, uh, Peter goes up on the housetop to pray. And isn't that where we all go to hang out and pray, right? Up, you up on the roof, right? No. No, actually, most houses of that day, they were built with a flat roof. And it was common, it, it was accessible, and that was commonly used as kind of an outdoor living space where they, uh, where they would go. So no big deal that Peter was up on the, on the housetop. That wasn't uncommon. But he sees while he's up there praying, he sees an important vision. He kind of has a disagreement with the Lord. God says, all right, Peter, I want you to see all these animals rise, kill, and eat. And he's like, nope, <laughs> that ain't happening. I have never eaten something that's not kosher, is the word we would use today. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Peter was still operating under the Jewish food laws. Um, those are taken primarily, by the way, from Leviticus chapter 11. If you want to just do some extra research on that, Leviticus 11, you can read about the various um, restrictions that were placed on what Jews were permitted to eat. Well, I guess Peter just wasn't paying attention that day in Mark chapter number 7. Because in Mark 7, 19, Scripture tells us that Jesus on that day declared that all foods are clean. Peter missed that somehow. Uh, he's still operating under those food laws. Well, uh, he says, I, I can't do it. I ain't rising. I'm not killing and eating. And the Lord said, no, buddy, what, what God has made clean, you don't call common. That conversation happened three times. And then the, tent, the, the, the sheet is taken up, and Peter's like, huh, wonder what that's about. In fact, look at verse number 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, perplexed, that's Greek for huh, <laughs> all right? Anyway, let's throw that in there. All right, anyway, so he's perplexed about this and what it might mean. Behold, about that time, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, that is, they found out where Simon lived, they stood at the gate. They're at the house now. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision that he'd seen, the Spirit of God said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Verse 21, Peter went down to the men, and he said, Hey, I am the one you're looking for. Now, what is the reason for your coming? 
And they said, well, Cornelius, they recounted it to him. Cornelius, he's a centurion, upright, God-fearing man, well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. He was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so it says, Peter invited them in to be his guests. Now, hang on right there. So Cornelius's servants, they show up at the house right about the time that Peter's vision has come to an end. The Spirit of God speaks to Peter. He was sensitive to recognize it. We don't know if he spoke audibly or internally to Peter, but he told him to go with these guys. He didn't say where they're going. He just said, three guys are at the door. You greet them and you go on with them. And um, so Peter goes down and he first asks them, like, why are you guys here? Why have you come? And they explain it to him about Cornelius and how, uh, you know, he, he saw this vision. This angel was told to come. And, um, and, and so we're to bring you to, uh, to Caesarea, to Cornelius's house, so that you can just tell us whatever you feel like you need to tell us. Wink, wink. Like, read between the lines, Peter. All right. In other words, we're inviting you to come have a gospel conversation with us. Well, Peter first invited them to be his guest. He's like, hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. But why don't you guys come on in the house? Thank you. I think the first service did not get that, all right? Um, uh, but y'all come on in the house here, right? We're in the middle of verse number 23. It says, the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So he brings some buddies along. Verse 24, on the following day, because it was a day and a half journey, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up. <coughs> Pardon me. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I too am I'm just a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And Peter said to them, Now you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew, like myself, to associate with or visit anyone of another nation, like yourselves. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So Peter and these guys from, from Cornelius' house, they leave Caesarea the very next morning, but Peter brings along some buddies. I think he was worried just in case things went sideways with this, this soldier from, from the centurion, right? Just in case he wanted some, some guys there. They make the day and a half journey. They arrive. Cornelius has this whole house full of people right there waiting to greet Peter. Like that'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? And, uh, but it gets even weirder because Cornelius starts worshiping Peter. But once he got him up on his feet, he's like, all right, guys, y'all know <laughs> this, like, like this whole thing is against Jewish tradition. Like the Pharisees would be freaking out right now. This is contrary to Pharisaical law, although not contrary to biblical law. Um, he said, but still don't worry. I'm finally learning. God is showing me not to call anyone common or clean that we Jews were not actually better than everyone else. So anyway, why'd y'all want me to come? And in verse number 30, Cornelius steps up and says, well, here's the deal. And he recounts what we've already read in verses one through eight about how he saw the vision, etc. So we're not going to read through all those verses again. But after Cornelius gives him the lowdown, this Roman centurion says to Peter in verse 33 now, he said, so we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have um, been commanded by the Lord. 
In other words, let's read between the lines again. We're all here to listen to whatever God wants you to say and go. And so Peter has this opportunity and he recognizes, he's sensitive to the Spirit of God that's brought him to this point, and he recognizes this opportunity to speak the gospel into people's lives. He's at, he's, he, here he is after a long journey on foot to a very Gentile uh, household. He's got this captive audience. They're ready to take notes on whatever he says, and he recognizes that God has set him up for a gospel conversation. Look what happens, verse number 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death, there's the crucifixion, by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day, there's the, res, uh, the resurrection, and made him to appear, uh, not to all the people, but to us who'd been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to, ju to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name." So Peter took the mic, and he just started telling them about God, about God's plan, Jesus, uh, um, the gospel, how they could be forgiven through faith in Jesus' name. And that finally brings us to see our points of application for today. These po four points that we're going to see, they all relate to open doors for gospel conversations. The first is this. We learn from this text the importance of that we must prepare in prayer. Prepare in prayer. Notice Cornelius was praying, verse 30 says, when he saw that vision, heard from the angel this instruction to go get Peter to set up this gospel conversation. Peter was praying when he saw the vision of the animals and the sheet, and he heard from God about what God has called, uh, what God has cleansed, don't, make, don't call common. That was preparing him for a gospel conversation with Gentiles. He'd no sooner finished praying than Cornelius' servants and, and, and soldier arrived at the house, and Peter was sensitive to, to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God to recognize that he was supposed to go with them. The point is this, that prayer prepares us to hear from God. And yes, you heard that right. Prayer is not just about us talking to God, but it's about us hearing from God. In prayer, we can and we should spend some time quietly listening with a heart surrendered and humbled before him, waiting upon the Lord in direction from the Spirit of God. That's what Peter did. And the Lord clearly communicated to him, told him, go with these guys, and it was going to create an opportunity. The Spirit was telling Peter, go have a gospel conversation. So let me tell you, follower of Christ, to open the door of your prayer closet and spend some time before the Lord. Man, go on the roof if you have to, all right? But pray. Pray for open doors to have gospel conversations. Pray for your own courage and sensitivity. Pray for the hearts of those whom you'll have conversations with to be receptive. 
and wait quietly and patiently upon the Lord. Prayer prepares us, and it opens doors for gospel conversations. A second thing that we learn from this text is that we must put prejudice to death. Put prejudice to death. Now, when Peter heard that Cornelius was a centurion, there was probably a pretty distinct image that conjured up in Peter's mind of what kind of guy this was. And it probably wasn't the kind of guy that you'd think would want to follow Jesus. There's some prejudice involved there. Peter was an incredible witness for Christ, but even he had his own prejudices that he had to deal with. He certainly had prejudice against Gentiles. I mean, that bears out in the text here. He probably had prejudice, like most Jews did, against the town and the people of Caesarea. Caesarea, this town where um, Cornelius was that Peter was called to go to, Caesarea was hated by most Jews because the city, it was the capital of Roman occupation in Israel. It was full of Romans, Gentiles, and compromising Hellenistic Jews. Any committed Jew hated, this is the last place they wanted to be. There was some prejudice built in there. He probably had some prejudice even against the likes of a Roman centurion. He isn't going to want to follow Jesus. You know, I mean, that's just natural. Now, let me tell you, it's human nature that we would want to congregate together with people who look and, and, and act and think and believe like ourselves. It's just more comfortable to be around people who agree with us, people whom you can kind of understand where they're coming from. But hear me, church, if we allow that natural comfort to keep us from seeing other people's need, if we allow that to keep us from seizing gospel opportunities, then we have ventured into prejudice and partiality. If we're not sharing the gospel with someone because they don't look like us, they don't act like us, they don't think like us, they don't believe like us, because they're a different economic standing than us, because we've decided they're too rough, they're too street, they're too sinful, they're too Muslim, they're too Hindu, too Buddhist, too atheistic, too whatever you want to say, if we're not sharing the gospel with people because we've already decided that they're too far gone, then by definition, we're allowing prejudice to creep in and cloud the gospel. Logan Murphy is an online blogger. He put it this way. He said, you are called to show love to and share the gospel with the new kid at school, your Muslim neighbor, your atheist cousin, an illegal immigrant, a political refugee, someone with a criminal history, Because it's like what we see here in this example in Acts chapter 10, that those who were not God's chosen people, Gentiles in this case, they have been welcomed into the family of God by Christ. By the way, that includes us. We've been welcomed into the family of God by Christ. And those people that we see and we just, in our minds, decide, uh, too far gone. That guy's not going to trust Jesus. Don't bother They may not look like God's chosen people, but they've been welcomed into the family of God by Christ. Now, when God told Peter, don't call what I've cleansed common, he wasn't just talking about food. He was talking about his plan to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He was talking about Peter's own struggle with prejudice. 
And so somewhere after the vision, and somewhere on that day and a half journey of 31 miles over to Caesarea, somewhere along the way, Peter recognized this sinful racism that was abiding within himself. And so we see that begin to unwind once he gets to Caesarea. Notice in verse number 26, he told Cornelius, I too am a man. Like, I'm no better than you, buddy. Although Jews typically did see themselves as better than everyone else. They were God's chosen people after all. Surely he chose them because they're better, right? Except the truth is, God chose them simply as an act of grace, not because they deserved it. Just like he's chosen to permit each of us here today to hear and respond to the gospel, not because we deserve it, not because we're better than anyone else, but simply as an act of God's marvelous grace. That continues, that prejudice continues to unwind. In verses 28 and 29, he's before all the people there in Cornelius' house, and Peter says, now you know how unlawful it is for me, a Jew, to be here, right? But God is showing me not to call anyone common or unclean. We're all on the same plane. And you get to verse 34 and 35, and by there, Peter says, I've learned that God shows no partiality. Rather, the gospel's available to anyone who fears him from any nation. You see, God had opened the doors in Peter's heart to recognize that every person needs the gospel. And oh, that he would do the same for us, that all our secret prejudices would be put to death and drowned in the grace of the gospel. A third thing that we learn from this text is that we can use hospitality as a tool. Use hospitality as a tool. Look at all the ways that hospitality opens doors as it played into the sequence of events that led up to Peter being able to share the gospel. So Simon the Tanner, he had allowed Peter to lodge in his home. He showed him hospitality, and that created the opportunity for these guys to come and meet up with Peter. Because Simon Tanner, we see that in chapter 9, verse 43, and it's referenced throughout chapter number 10. In verse 23, Peter, these guys from Cornelius' household, they're at his doorstep, and he says, you know what? You guys come in and be my guests. We see hospitality on display again. In verse 24, Cornelius was expecting them to come, and he had invited a whole bunch of people together. Hospitality. Verse 27, many persons gathered together. Hospitality can literally open doors, and not just the doors of our homes, but it can open doors for people to hear the gospel. That's part of why Scripture commands us to show hospitality. In fact, as you'll see on the screen, uh, um, hospitality opens doors for ministry and gospel conversations. In these five passages that we put on screen for you, you may want to write those down and reference those later. In each of them, we're instructed and shown the importance of hospitality, showing hospitality as believers. Now, the Greek word in each of these that's trans translated hospitality, the, in the Greek, it's philoxenia, and it means love to strangers. Love to strangers. Show love even to those who are strangers to the gospel. And that love should move us to show hospitality, to open doors for gospel conversations. What does that hospitality look like? I think it sometimes looks like opening our homes and inviting people in. I think it looks like sharing a meal together. It looks like building relationships showing genuine interest and care for other people, earning their trust to ask about their faith and to share the gospel. 
Hospitality is this tool to help us be able to have gospel conversations. A fourth thing that we learned this morning is that we've got to just share the simple gospel. Prayer, putting prejudice to death, and hospitality, those all helped open this door for a gospel conversation to take place. And when it came down to it, and Peter's right there, and they said, all right, Peter, you got the floor, go. Peter kept it focused on Jesus. He says, as you'll see on the screen, that uh, he said, Jesus is Lord of all. He's, uh, that God anointed him, how he performed miracles. He was put to death. He rose again. He's the judge of all. He's the Savior because forgiveness of sins is available through his name. Peter kept his talk focused on Jesus. He had the floor to say whatever he wanted. And rightly, he shared the simple gospel with these folks. Now, I'm sure Peter had a few questions for these people. I'm sure that there were some other things that he maybe wanted to talk about besides the gospel specifically. Like this is his first time probably in a Gentile's home. Probably his first time to eat non-kosher food. Don't you know he had some questions? I mean, if it was me, I'd be like, can we talk about bacon, please? All right. I mean, I'd be very interested in that. Right? Uh, um, that's one of my love languages, by the way. Anyway, uh, okay. So, <laughs> so uh, but Peter, he sets all of that aside and recognizes, no, God has set him up here for a gospel conversation. And so when it came down to it and he had the floor and people were listening, instead of talking about those other secondary things, he said, let's talk about Jesus. And he took them to the gospel. That other stuff could wait. And guys, we got to do the same thing. Now, obviously, we don't lead off with, hi, I'm Jason. Let's talk about the gospel. Do you know Jesus? No, we, we have conversations that then transition into the gospel. But when it comes to that point where the gospel fits into the conversation, when it comes to that point and people are listening to what you have to say, and you sense the Spirit of God is saying, this is it. Talk about Jesus now. And we get nervous and we talk about something else instead. No, in that moment, that's where we've got to just Share the simple gospel. Talk about Jesus. Tell them how they can have forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, I know that can be hard and intimidating. I get it. So to help you share the simple gospel today, we have something special for you. Our staff are about to come down the aisles, and they're going to start handing out books to you, okay? Every family gets a book. We're doing one per family. It's called, as you'll see on the screen, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. All right? Now, again, one per family, but man, husband and wife, hey, you both need to read this. All right? Teenagers, read this book. You can do what it says. Children can read and understand this book. It is simple. It is short. Okay? So, don't get freaked out. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I am a super slow reader. I mean, really slow. I read this entire book in an hour and a half, all right? You can probably read it in 45 minutes. It's not going to take a lot of your time, all right? But it's rich with information to help us have gospel conversations. And so as our staff continues uh, handing out these books, let me just tell you a few things that you're going to find in the book, some quotes from it. It talks about how the single greatest obstacle to getting church members to share their faith is our inability to transition the conversation to spiritual matters. That's true, right? I mean, that's just, that's reality. That's the biggest obstacle. So it's designed to help us get past that obstacle. 
It talks about how the gospel advances when people sow or share the gospel regularly and generously, have a lot of gospel conversations. Our natural drift is away from the Great Commission. But when we have these gospel conversations, God draws people to His Son. It tells us how that every day is filled with opportunities for gospel conversations, opportunities that will never come again. If we don't capture them now, if we miss them, they're gone. It speaks of how um, the, the explosive growth of Christianity in the first century was because ordinary people spoke of the gospel to everyone they knew. They had gospel conversations every day. And there's even more. It brings it down to show us how that the brokenness in people's lives creates an opportunity for us to speak the gospel into their lives. So church, receive this book and then read it. What are we going to do with it? Read it, church. Make it a helpful resource. It will help train and equip you to be more comfortable and skilled at having these gospel conversations. You got to wonder how many people are like Cornelius, just waiting for someone to speak up and share hope with them. And they're probably not going to corner you like Cornelius did and say, all right, tell us about Jesus. Go. In fact, most people don't even realize that Jesus is what they need. But they know that there's an emptiness, there's a hopelessness, there's this longing that they can't seem to fill, and they would love to hear. In fact, many people are just plain desperate to hear about the one who heals our brokenness. People don't know that Jesus heals brokenness today because believers don't talk enough about Jesus in our conversations. But as you read in this book, you're going to see that um, when people do talk about their brokenness, it's a key opportunity to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. So church, prepare in prayer. Put prejudice to death. Use hospitality as a tool. And when it comes down to it, just open your mouth and speak the gospel. Speak Jesus into people's lives. That book will help teach you a simple way to do it. Next Sunday, we're going to see what happened with Cornelius after Peter shared the simple gospel. For this morning, join me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that instructs us and leads us. I thank you for how all through the book of Acts, we keep finding over and over again instructions on how to have better gospel conversations. Thank you, Lord, that you give us this instruction. And this book as a resource we've handed out today, we know it's not going to supplant your word. It's not better than your word, but it does uh, work as a cooperating resource to help us be better at speaking the gospel into people's lives. Would you strengthen us with this? Equip us, teach and train us using these resources to be better not so we can see some numbers flip on a screen, but God, that your kingdom would be expanded, that your name would be exalted, that you'd be made much of, that you'd delight and take joy in rescuing sinners from their sin. And God, would you choose to use us, your followers, to be the ones that get to have these gospel conversations and introduce people to Jesus. We ask for your grace in this that we'd all participate, for it's what you've called us to do. Be honored as we ponder that and we respond to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.